This is the Travel Writers Show on J-Air 88FM in Melbourne. Travel Writers Radio, we've had three or four reporters cover visits to Morocco over the years. It's a popular and unique destination Australians enjoy, but most recent and most relevant was the visit of Karen Avila, who not only visited the country in the north of Africa, but she specifically spent time in a village in the foothills of the Atlas Mountains, where she lived with an Amazi, or a Berber family, in their adobe-style home. That was just last March. Now, we've received a couple of updates on the terrible earthquakes, including Karen's attempt to get in contact with the family using a mobile phone. And this is the family in Imlil, which is south of Marrakesh, and apparently close to the epicentre of the 6.8 quake. That uh, Apparently, it's so far claimed almost 3,000 lives, but it's impacted 300,000 people living mainly in the clusters of villages in and around the Atlas Mountains. Uh, Karen, I I know you have great feeling for the people in this part of the world. You stayed with a family up there uh, in a little village called Imlil, a typical family home in the area. Just tell us a little bit how these homes are constructed. Sure. So... A lot of so the village has been there for for a while, and so a lot of the villages uh, the village is uh, comprised of seven different communities. They call them. Um, so there's a town center of Emlil, but then there's seven different communities surrounding it that are kind of up in the hills and and right around the village center. And most of those houses are uh, adobe style, so they're built with earth um, without a lot of reinforcement structures. Some of the more Modern houses do have some metal framework, um, so there are some houses there that may be able to withstand uh, a large earthquake, yeah. uh, but a lot of them, yes, are are just made from earth, and so unfortunately are uh, more susceptible they're, to they're um, any well events such as this. sort of braced as uh, some of the more modern forms of, uh, of construction. Now, I did read right. somewhere where the, the earthquake, or the initial strike, was felt in Portugal. Does, does that mean... You felt it in Spain? So I I did read some accounts that it was felt in both Spain and Portugal. Uh, We didn't feel it here, uh, but I imagine southern Spain. Yeah. I would think, yeah, exactly. I think we're probably too far north. It was probably in the southern region, I would imagine. It was also felt in Algeria, which neighbors Morocco, but they felt it, I think, in seven different communities out there. So it was massive earthquake uh, and they felt it even just looking at morocco they felt it all the way up to the capital of rabat which is 350 kilometers north of where the epicenter is so that's wow. that's pretty substantial yeah and and the atlas mountains i know you went walking in the atlas mountains and i don't think it's just, i don't think it's the smoothest terrain to start with but i guess it would all be uh, disturbed now with rocks and stuff uh, tumbling all over the place you know, so you're not going to drive a car up there in a hurry are you Correct. I think a lot of the roads, in fact, um, unfortunately, because uh, I've, of course, been looking quite a bit the last couple of days since the news came out to see what type of news they would have from Imlil and and the surrounding villages. And there really hasn't been much. And I think part of that, just speculating now because the information is not available, but Mm. is that they can't get into those mountain passes because these are long, winding roads, several kilometers up into the mountains and uh, from what I'm reading that a lot of those roads are now blocked and from having been there I could see how a lot of that rock debris would fall and slide in and block those roads and so uh, I think there's just mm. very limited access right now. Mm. now. The people have been through a lot over over the years. They, I would imagine they're reasonably self-sufficient. You'd probably have to be living in relatively remote communities, wouldn't you? 
Exactly. They are. And that was a conversation I had had with my host uh, at the time in, in Imlo, where I learned quite a bit about the uh, local Amazigh or Berber culture. And they do. They have, you know, they grow their own food. They uh, raise their own food through livestock. They have a lot of herbs that they grow locally that they use for medicinal purposes. And the most important thing is that they take care of each other. Like mm-hmm. they, I, I think we've seen sort of this very heart warming collective response globally to this event. But as a community, the Amazigh people, uh, you know, put each other first and whatever anyone needs, um, they, there'll be someone there to help take care of them. So I think that's such a, obviously an important part of enduring a a terrible event like this. So Mm -hmm. um, yes, they're, they're self-sufficient and they also do a, um, a, a tremendous job of taking care of each other. Well, we hope their resilience shines through over the, over the next uh, days and weeks and hopefully you'll hear something and you can let us know that we can forward on that message that uh, because there probably are other people who've been there who are listening to us and who are also wondering well since that initial report from Karen over the weekend we subsequently heard from her again and she does have some news Karen I know you were reaching out to a couple of friends over there what have you found out so I, I have heard back from uh, one of my contacts there. This is actually the guide who I stayed with while I was in the town of Imlil or the village of Imlil. I stayed with him and his family while I was yeah. there. Yep. And I reached out to him immediately. It had been a couple of days, but I did finally get a voicemail back from him stating that they were all okay which was really, of course, great news. He didn't leave too much detail, but he had mentioned that there were some homes that had been collapsed in the area, but he said that everyone is okay, including his family. So just based from his message, I'm I'm taking that to be that uh, most, if not all the people in his community uh, did well. So I was very happy to hear that. Um, There is another friend uh, who's a musician who lives in a village called Tanout, which is about 30 kilometers north of Imlil. And again, this is within the hardest hit region from the earthquake. I haven't heard from him yet, so okay. I'm uh, holding on and checking social media, hoping to get some news. We hear on radio that the government, maybe it's the maybe it's the king and his uh, and his crew, are allowing only four at the moment only four international aid organisations into Morocco to help with the uh, with this issue. There've been a few comments I, I've heard on BBC radio. It's against the law to actually say anything detrimental about the king, a bit like Thailand. You can get charged with uh, less majest and end up in jail forever at the king's pleasure. But a few of the people who've been interviewed have been saying, you know, why don't we just let more people in? It's not as if they're putting any extra burden on us. We're well burdened now, but we need equipment and we need food now. So what's your take on that? Have you heard something similar? So I I was keeping my eyes on that as well, because I thought it was interesting that initially what I was hearing was that these countries were waiting for permission to go into the country. And I'd never heard that before. And that might be, I don't know if that's standard across different countries or all countries, but I, I found that that was new news to me. So I was really paying attention to that because I knew all these countries were ready to put boots on the ground. So from what I've read in a couple of different articles is that the king, the king uh, and the prime minister, and I'm sure other officials in the government are the ones that are making these decisions around this. Uh, they had actually reached out to Spain. So Spain was one of the first countries to send uh, people in, which makes sense given their mm. close relationship and the proximity. But there's also three other countries that were given permission to 
send help in. From what I read, and again, it's it's hard to speculate beyond what I've read, but part of it was just the logistical coordination. So of course, Morocco immediately sent, they immediately deployed their own teams to immediately start start the search and rescue. So it was no hesitation to put help out. It was just a matter of adding additional help in. And part of that was figuring out the coordination and logistics from what I've read. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does sound like there's, there's four countries in there now. And then uh, I'm sure they will make a decision to uh, allow more. And once there's, um, you know, determination of the needs and the logistical support that's so required. The one country that I did expect to see in there was the colonial overlords, that's France, apparently offered to go and have been rejected. I don't know that they've been rejected. I think... Uh, and again, weren't chosen I, I, yet, put it that way. <laughs> exactly, because be there's... Yeah, there's several countries that haven't been invited yet because they've started with these four... I don't know the reasoning behind starting with those four aside from Spain. That one seems a little bit more obvious. But the other countries, it's the UAE, the UK, and then Qatar, I believe. So it's hard to say why those countries were selected. It's probably because of the relationship, possibly. But yes, there's several other countries, including the US, the United States, that are you know, waiting and, and ready to provide additional support if it's needed. Mm. It's, it's hard to say what goes on behind closed doors, but I can mm. understand, especially when you have you know, uh, centuries of history, in some cases, with some of these countries, or at least several decades, um, it would be a very difficult decision to make because that could be opening a door to other things. One interesting example is mm-hmm. their neighboring country, Algeria, where there's been uh, there's been tensions for quite a while with Algeria, and I think Algeria formally cut ties just a couple of years ago. But they have extended offers to help as well and opened up their airspace to allow other countries to come through. Right. I believe they have not been invited yet, but I understand the sensitivity around that, and that would be a you know a, a more difficult decision to make. And it, it's it's so hard to say without you know being behind the closed doors with the decision makers. But I can understand that some of these decisions, if mm. you want to first exhaust your own resources um, before uh, maybe opening up uh, international relations that might lead to other considerations for the mm. future. Well, I did hear, and I think it was published very early in the proceedings, that this was not an area prone to earthquakes. However. <laughs> In 1960, they suffered an earthquake that killed 15,000 people. It was further south, apparently. Um, So it's not an area that's immune from earthquakes. Uh, You know, that's a bit of an urban myth, I think, that's been well and truly blown out of the water. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was interesting as well that they're uh, I mean, they're living in a mountainous region, so that's the result of an earthquake, really, when you think of it, right? With the earth, with the mm. plates coming together and pushing up this earth and creating these mountains, but mm. they they're just not used to. It's not like California where you have like, you know, a regular day you have a four point five <laughs> right. earthquake and no one even bats an eye. Yeah. So here, um, even though uh, I think they said they hadn't had one this big in over a century, but like you said, in the nineteen sixties, there was you know there was one or nineteen sixty. And um, I think there was one was. in 1900. Yeah. That I, I don't know. I don't know what the result of that particular one was, but I think it was yeah. fairly serious, actually. I, look, I suppose three in 120 years or so isn't too bad, but um, you know, we we consider ourselves pretty lucky here. Although we've had a couple that have certainly shaken us from our slumber, haven't knocked any houses down in Melbourne. But, you know, no one, I don't think anyone's really isolated from all this. And then, of course, we suddenly see that with, with what's going on around the world, old Kilauea is fired up again on the big island of Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. And um, we remember a few years ago that that uh, sent um, molten lava down 
over the edge of the uh, crater and suddenly whole suburbs disappeared. The real estate agents thought it was great because new land was being created out to sea. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it cost a lot of people their home. Anyway, yeah, I don't know what's happening in the world. I can't blame everything on climate change, uh, Karen. No, the Earth is a living, breathing entity. So I think there's, uh, you know, the more we sort of live and spread across it, uh, inevitably we're going to be running into these situations now and then. It's mm. it's uh, something, it, it's deep, deeply felt tragedy for the people of Morocco. But, you know, it is also this, just this, this, this part of... Um, of the planet, this sort of awakening of the planet, and a reminder that this is a very alive and Don't poke active. the bear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for, for, for your update. I just thought it was very relevant to talk to you, having spent time with the, uh, the people in that community. Uh, very sad, but we wish them all a speedy recovery in whatever form that uh, ultimately will take. Karen Arvilla there, speaking with Graham Kemlo from her home in Spain. Well, just as a footnote to Karen Arvila's report, I got a text message from her very late uh, before we went to air, and there is a happy ending. She got a message back earlier from the family she stayed with in the foothills of the Atlas Mountains of Morocco, and she said she'd sent a message to a musician friend, Ali. The message I received from Karen was the good news that Ali had responded and uh, that he was well. So I guess uh, as little, a little celebration of what is otherwise a terrible tragedy, we're going to play Ali's song. We played it uh, a number of weeks ago when Karen first reported on her visit to Morocco and it's called Imassan by Aka Ali. <laughs> <laughs> 